listen to Melanated Mom's podcast because she has something to say. Oh, yeah. I'm a Melanated Mom, working hard as can be. I show up for my children while showing up for me. I'm a Melanated, Melanated, Melanated Mom. Hey, y'all. So, this is it. Um, <laughs> I'm not recording this intro over. I don't care what happens. This is the last podcast of the season and I need it to be the last one like really badly because I have been super unorganized. So this has been really hard to get through these. I don't know how many episodes I have, maybe like nine or 10 episodes. But anyway, yeah, I'm so done. I'm so ready for a break. And um, I think it's actually going to be like maybe a month or maybe two because I want to get myself together a lot more for next season. Anyhow, this episode is about to be so fire. I um, really enjoyed talking to Sarah Brady um, conversations that a black woman has with a white woman asking tough questions. And I just appreciate her honesty. I appreciate the way that she showed up in this interview. And I'm hoping that I can have her on again next season as well. I would love to hear what you guys think about the interview. Sarah is um, just a pretty honest person. I just met her. Um, I stalked her on Clubhouse. And and by the way, if you're a a podcast host, you should really stalk people on Clubhouse. I haven't (laughs) done it in a while, but there are so many good people on Clubhouse. So I just listen to people talk and then I get in their DMs and be like, "Ooh, can you come on my podcast? So anyway, just a little tip from me for podcasters. Uh, so lost in my train of thought little squirrel running after every shiny thing but yeah Sarah was really good she was amazing to interview she was nice open and honest and I hope that you guys enjoyed this conversation as we move and pick up momentum in critical race theory I just want to talk about this stuff more like where do you think that this whole critical race theory thing will lead us um I'm hoping somewhere good. I'm not confident. You know, I'm like glass half empty when it comes to everything because everything that I see concerning race is just depressing. So I hope that we can like move forward and make some changes, but I'm not super hopeful guys. I just want to keep having these conversations with people who are willing to show up, people who are willing to move the needle for change and hope that we can all band together and do something about it. So we'll see. Anyway, um, I guess I will not be talking to you for at least a month, probably two. So take care. Have an amazing end of the school year, mamas, because I know y'all need it because I need it too. I'm wiped out. So I will talk to you all soon and have a great week and have a great two months. All right. Take care. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me for another edition of the Melanated Mom podcast, where we raise creative, innovative, and independent thinkers. But in the process, we make sure that we're taking care of ourselves well, too. I was going to say as well. That doesn't sound right. But too, we're taking care of ourselves, too. Um, So today, I have a very special guest that I actually just stalked on Clubhouse. I mean, that's (laughs) that's kind of what I've been telling people. I was in a room one day labeled 
Black women ask white women hard questions. And Sarah was in this room. Now, there were a lot of people in this room. There were a lot of people on the stage. And she just resonated with me because she was giving answers that I don't think that she thought was what everybody wanted to hear. And that's what drew me to her. There were a lot of people in the room that were giving standard answers that I thought that they thought would get them over the hill with the Black woman and just make them very much like comfortable. It would make the Black woman feel that they have been doing all the right things their whole entire life. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't believe it. <laughs> so then I heard Sarah and I was like, oh, okay. So I kind of like checked out her profile on Instagram and then I went from there and she was completely open to having this conversation. So I'm so excited to have you here. Hey, Sarah, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, we just met today. And so I'm excited to hear what she has to say to us today. So I'm sure it's going to be an excellent interview. So, um, Sarah, so tell us a little bit about yourself. If, Okay, no, I'm going to ask you this first. I'm going to ask you to tell us what brings you joy first, because then we'll hop into everything else after that. Um, lots of things bring me joy. Um, I think probably the greatest joy that I receive um, quite frequently is from the students that I have. Um, so I teach elementary students, and I just... It is so just beyond gratifying to watch them grow, to, to teach them things. And you think, especially with online learning, you think that like they're not listening or you have no idea what is going on. But then a week later or maybe even a day later, whatever I taught them, it, it clicked or they're able to repeat to me something that I said. I'm like, oh. You're listening. My words got through to you. Um, I just think that just, it's so joyous and so gratifying to watch these small children grow. Um, I think the more joyous part in it is seeing myself in them. <laughs> um, you know, I'm a little spicy and saucy. <laughs> and so to see that these children are like finding themselves, it's just, it's beautiful. And I always say that elementary, isn't elementary school like one of the happiest places that you have ever been in in your life? Like the kids aren't quite embarrassed yet. <laughs> They're not embarrassed to say hi to you or be nice to you or be your friend. And everyone just seems fairly happy in an elementary school. There's, um... I would disagree with you on oh. that. I have worked with some awful teachers before, oh, like yeah. really awful teachers, um, which I don't even understand how they are teachers, but I've been in that environment and I would not say that it's always very happy. Like, but these spirits that come from these children, they're so, they haven't been shut down yet. Um, they're, they're just open and they're blossoming and they're trying to find themselves and their way. So they're, you know, they're more innocent and they're more open, you know, whereas adults were like already shaped in this box and it's, you know, some of us are just so rigid and not fun to be around where these kids are just so, oh, they're just, they're just such beautiful little souls. So for they me, they really are. Yeah, I, I wish that people that didn't feel that way anymore would get out of teaching. But I guess <laughs> at some point, 
it's a job now. And if they probably have been doing it for so long at this point that they're, they're not going to get out until they retire. But <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I do mean the souls of the children. Like they are just so like fun to be around. And like you said, seeing yourself in that, like a lot of times when I work in elementary schools, I can put myself back in the place that they are now. And to see like what brings them that immense joy in those moments, I'm like, oh man, I remember when I used to like like to double dutch or whatever it is, you know, and how joyous it is to them. So yeah, maybe the students, maybe not the adults all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the kids. So, okay, so now we're just gonna jump into talking about a few of the things that we discussed. So tell me a little bit about yourself and a little bit about the small town that you grew up in. Okay, so uh, originally I'm from upstate New York. I grew up in a tiny, tiny little town um, north of Albany. I don't know if anybody would know where that is, but um, some people know geographical locations in New York and it's a tiny, tiny, tiny little town at the bottom of the Adirondack Mountains between Saratoga Springs and Lake George. Population is about 10,000-ish. Um, demographics are 98 point something percent white and the other one point whatever percent is mixed. Um, mostly Hispanic though in that one percent. Um, so no diversity. Uh, very... It's a very, very small town, two traffic lights. Um, The biggest problem with small towns uh, is that the mines in those towns are often quite small too. Um, You know, you don't, you you live what you know. So if you don't ever get out of that environment, you don't learn or grow. Um, And so I lived there for 25 years and then I moved away. to finish my undergrad, I moved to Hawaii, uh, which was a huge culture shock coming from upstate New York, where it's all white, um, essentially. And then um, I moved from Hawaii after graduating uh, from Hawaii Pacific University in 2014, um, or actually in 2015, I moved to the Bay Area in California, where I've lived ever since. Um, and shortly after I moved to the Bay Area, I went back uh, home to visit that tiny little town and I realized I don't want to be there. <laughs> um, so that little town that I'm from is, um, it's basically, if you leave there, you don't go back. Mm. And if you don't leave, well, I mean, you're, you're kind of just there for the rest of your life. So you're either there forever or you leave and you don't come back. And I am the leave and don't come back person. (laughs) Um, Anyway, when I moved to the Bay Area, I became a teacher and um, I've been doing that ever since. There's obviously a lot of learning and growing involved in teaching. Um, Right. But I am very happy with where I am right now. Um, I've developed some great friendships out here. Um, And every day is a learning experience. And like I said earlier, I have one of the most joyous jobs, I think, in the world. Um, I mean, anything really could be the most joyous job in the world. But for me, I love children and I love what I do. So that's a little bit about me and a little bit about that small town. I could probably go on and on 
though about that small town, but. <laughs> Maybe we'll get back into it in some of the other questions. But so what made you want to get out of that small town? Like, you know, when you are like in that environment, what, what made it like, no, this is not going to be the end all be all for me. I got to, I got to move on. So I always had like this fiery soul. Um, just, I've, I've, all, I've also had a very, very strong intuition. Um, now who I am today is not who I was at any point in time living in that small town. Um, I mean, obviously there are bits and pieces that are still the same, you know, you grow from the roots, um, or you grow from the seed that whatever, anyway, those, my roots are in that tiny little town, right? As as much as I would like to not admit that they are, (laughs) but I always had this, I don't know, this fire in me or passion or something and being there, even when that was all I knew, it just, it never felt like that's, you know, where I'm supposed to be or, um, it just, it's not that it didn't feel right, but simultaneously it also didn't feel, it just, it wasn't me. It was definitely me to some extent, but it wasn't where I wanted to be. I wanted to experience some things. I, and honestly, at that point when I lived in that town, I had no idea what I wanted. Right. I just, it wasn't for me to stay mm-hmm. there. Right. But you, you were born and raised there though, right? Yes. I lived there so, for 25 years. Yeah. So it, uh, yeah, I'm going to say it just takes a special person to see that I want to like, <laughs> I want more, right? Because you have, you know, that there's more about the world, even in terms of diversity, like there is something else that I have not yet experienced. And I want to do that. And that could be scary, right? I mean, yeah. If that, if that was me and I was in this town and I was just used to like, this was my thing. This is all I knew. I don't know that I would be the person that would say, okay, let me go out and explore other places, especially if I had not been used to being around a lot of different people. So I think that takes courage. (laughs) (laughs) So now I want to like get into some of the questions that I had, but before I did that, I did want to make this disclaimer that Sarah, just like black people are not a monolith. Oops, sorry guys. That was my work alarm. Just like (laughs) black people are not a monolith (laughs) and neither are white people. There are um, so many different facets to every single person. So Sarah cannot speak for all white people. She does not, she's not all white people. (laughs) She does not know all white people. So she is only going to speak for herself and maybe she will speak to some of the experiences that she's had on her own. But so let's keep that in mind. Okay. (laughs) And I have got to pull up the questions here. So give me one second. So what I did for these questions is I kind of pulled the people that listen to the podcast. I pulled the people that are in my environment and just wanted to know some of the things that they were interested in knowing. So I pulled from those questions. So one of the first questions that was on the list, and I just pulled a few that my my audience like went above and beyond. There were so many questions. So I was like, oh, it's so hard to choose. You guys did so good. But one of the questions that I got 
from um, those questions was, what are you actively doing to get rid of inherited racism and bias? Um, I think that the thing that I'm doing the most to try to get rid of um, inherited biases, um, and let me tell you, there's a lot, especially where I'm from. Um, I've said, I'm sure I've said, I know I've said a lot of stupid things. Um, um, what I've done over the course of many, many years is just try to listen more and talk less. Um, it's a thing I'm sure that, you know, a lot of white people like to interject and, you know, share their experiences like, oh, you, you have, um, whatever this thing is that you're dealing with. Okay. Well, let me tell you about mine. <laughs> I know at this point in time, it's not the same. We might have some shared experiences, but the way that you deal with them is definitely not going to be the way that they're going to affect me. Um, so I think that's one of the, the biggest things that I've done that's helped me grow is just to listen more and understand that by listening, I can learn a lot and it's, it's not about me. Right. Um, that really goes for a lot of things. If we just listen to people more and stop talking so much, you can learn a lot and you can grow in, in any area. Um, but especially as a white person, you know, because there is a lot of privilege and um, advantage. And if you're not willing to listen, then you will never be able to understand. And I understand the, the need to like have a shared experience with someone, right? Because as not only as races, like different races of people, like the bigger race is the human race. So this yeah. is a way of feeling like we can connect with other people by having some, some form of what you feel like is a shared experience. But I think that you're right, that um, the more that we listen to anybody, the more that we're going to learn. And I just think that the time that we're in right now, it's not a time to talk over people. Never, never has it really been. But I mean, it's like we, it has been such a tumultuous year. Um, and so many things have been brought to the forefront and we've just seen a lot and we've had a time to like really sit in that. Right. So uh, I'm still very confused about the people that haven't learned that, that you have to listen sometimes or that you can't always be right or that you don't always have all the answers. So <laughs> I do appreciate that answer and saying that you that you just listen more than you speak because you do really get a lot of information that you never would have thought that you would have been privy to by just listening to somebody. So I appreciate that. So I'm going to move on to the next question. And it says, why do many white women see people of color as a threat or dangerous? I, I'm like half I'm not sure and like the other half I'm, so I, I'll just give you the answer that, I'll just give you what comes to mind. Because okay. um, I, I don't know, I can't give you a solid 100% across the board answer like I can't do for anything, but um, 
black women come with such a strong presence. Um, and it might be seen as intimidating, um, especially if we're not willing to listen, um, you know, and we think that we're on the same, um, like a shared experience. You know, if we think that we're, you know, the playing field is the same, there's no difference, you know, then white women can, you know, white women are like a little, maybe it's overgeneralizing, but maybe a little soft and um, I don't want to say weak, but <laughs> maybe just a little, mm, not that bold and brazen. So, because they can't. But, but then never really had a reason to have to be, right? Yes. I mean, for the most part, um, they have been very well taken care of by other people. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for instance, I have no fear for my life. I have, um, I, you know, like, I, I don't have that much to worry about. But, um, so, you know, white women can see black women as, I don't know, like too much or just like too bold or too brazen or, and just not understanding why, like, or seeing that as an attitude or some perceived threat, you know, like, whoa, calm down, <laughs> you know? So calm down the words in the history that have never made one person calm down, right? <laughs> <laughs> calm down. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean that's I think can you just repeat that question one more time to see if I feel like I got that okay so it says why do so many white women see people of color as a threat or dangerous oh people of color sorry I was I don't know why I misinterpreted that to black women I think I think that's more specifically where my head goes because white women tend to have, I think, stronger issues with black women, mm -hmm. uh, right? Because there's like, there's such a, the contrast tends to be so different. But people of color, I mean, so I actually just read this book to my students. I will probably make a thousand references back to my teaching. <laughs> I, but, I love to hear about the kids. This yeah. is the Melanated Mom podcast. <laughs> so I actually read um, this wonderful book today to my students um, called, let me get it real quick. It's I think a kid's book about um, systemic racism. And it was so interesting. If you've never, this is not an advertisement for this book collection, but it is amazing. Just going to say. <laughs> anyway, in this book, it talks about, you know, systemic racism, which is really hard for six, seven and eight year olds to understand. But, you know, this whole system is based on um, invisibility. Um, so it's like, it's like white people see things as this is the norm and you're acting crazy because, well, obviously you're crazy or, you know, people are acting a certain way because 
I don't know, there's something wrong with them. It's not, you know, white people don't tend to see things as, okay, things are easier for me because I'm white and, you know, other people are having greater struggles than me doing the exact same thing because they are a person of color. So. Or just thinking that um, I had this conversation with my neighbor. It was right after um, everything happened with George Floyd and she mm -hmm. came over and uh, um, was just like in tears. Like she was very sad about the way that the world is and about everything that was going on. And I appreciated her visit. Um, so we had some conversation and she uh, just admitted to the fact that when I see someone getting pulled over on the side of the road, a black person getting pulled over on the side of the road, I just automatically assume that they did the wrong thing because I never got pulled over by the police and the police never did that to me. So I automatically assume that they weren't doing what they were supposed to do which I think is a, a valid assumption if that never happened to you, right? So she just assumed that every time she saw someone getting pulled over, that it was their fault, that they were the ones who did some wrong in the world. And she said, now I know that that's not true. You know, and I think that the age of social media has done so much justice for Black people because I just don't think people believed us before. It was like we were making up stories. Like, I'm like, why would someone make up a story and say they got pulled over by the police for no reason? Like, that, <laughs> that doesn't even sound like something someone wants to make up. But I think that um, it has just shined a light on all the stuff that we've been saying forever. And people are like, they're either like, whoa, I can't believe this happens. Or they're angry that they've been exposed. So it's either one of the two. It's like, oh, so now they really do know. Now they, now we get to see how people treat people on their jobs or how people treat people when they're standing on an elevator next to them. It's like not a secret anymore, right? So um, I, I think that um, just not having the experience will also make you feel like, well, it must be because of something that they are or some, something that they've done. They must be guilty, right? So- right. Um, that was in, that was interesting um, conversation to have with her. <laughs> yeah, that is. Yeah. So let me get back and see what I got in here. Uh, the next question that I had on my list is why? Now it says you, but not you specifically, just in general, what you think. Why do you think white people are silent on issues that negatively impact black women and their children? Um, I'm not sure how to answer this. Would is, could you like maybe rephrase the question? Okay. So maybe I'll do it in an example. So maybe a, a black woman and her child are being blamed for something. I don't know. And a white woman knows that the black woman didn't do this, but she doesn't stand up for the black woman. Mm -hmm. Why don't, why don't white people stand up for black people? Well, it could be very similar to what you just said. You know, even if, even if someone uh, knew that this um, uh, black woman and her child did nothing wrong, you, because of systemic racism, 
you can justify the situation like there's got to be something wrong with them right like they wouldn't just be ridiculed or persecuted because of not nothing you know like they there must be something wrong like they must have done something right so i think justification is a really um great way to brush things under the rug, you know, or it's not happening to me. So, you know, it's not happening to me, you know, so who cares? I I mean, you could, even from one white person to another, if you see somebody struggling, you can choose whether or not to help them. You know, maybe someone fell over on the street and you can be like, "Eh, not feeling it today. Or, okay, maybe you feel like you have a heart today and you're going to go help that person, you know? Right. Um, So, I mean, I think it it depends on who you are, but I mean, I know it depends on who you are. Um, But again, that justification of, well, there must be something wrong with you, or maybe, maybe the justification is, oh, it's just another uh, Black woman and her child causing more trouble or I don't know, whatever, you know, like the perceived notion of who every black person is. Right. So again, like you're saying, they must've done something wrong. And I I kind of view it as too, just like being comfortable with the position that I have in the world. Mm -hmm. So because I'm so comfortable with where I am in the world, I want to keep this position. And that just may be an unconscious thing, you know, I don't have any problems. I don't have to deal with any of this. And I don't want my boat to be rocked. And I think that I I have noticed that more last year than I have ever noticed it. I mean, I have lived in a white suburban neighborhood for 20 years. And although I have always had some sort of problem, never magnified by 2000% like it was in 2020. Like I just really started to see some people for who they, exactly who they were. There was no like, no sugarcoating it anymore. Like this is who you want to be. You want to stand in this position. You want to have this power. And I always say that white women are kind of the gatekeepers because they can do something about it. Like you have these men that you lay down to next, next to every day that would listen to you. Um, and they choose not to take that path. They choose to stay in a place where they're very comfortable and where they can always get their need met. And it doesn't matter like who else is not getting their need met. And I'm like, I'm even like on this thought of like, after living in a neighborhood for 20 years, I'm like, how fast can I get out of here on the next train smoking? (laughs) Like That's that's how I'm feeling, you know? (laughs) I have a, a range of kids. I have a 25 year old. And then my youngest is six. So my 25 year old, we grew, he grew up here as well, but he went to a school that was in Vallejo, California, which is more African-American people. Right. But my, my youngers are going to school here and I'm seeing complete like night and day. And I'm like, I just don't like it (laughs) because I don't expect them to be on the outskirts of everything their entire life. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't like the way that feels. And then I feel like I'm on the outskirts. So I'm like, ah. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how much longer we can do this, but I think um, just being comfortable and, and not wanting to give that up might be a lot of what 
keeps them quiet. <laughs> I a hundred percent agree. Uh, I mean, that's what keeps things from changing. It keeps things exactly where they are because things are comfortable for white people specifically. And yeah, white women have a chance to maybe adjust or affect the patriarchy, right? But nee, rocking the boat is just like, it's uncomfortable and something uncomfortable could come from that and your whole entire life could change. So, you know, let's just keep it comfortable and the same so nothing changes because comfortable for a white woman is, you know, it's it's not so bad. Because change- and, and, and it's it's what they're used to, right? Yeah. I'm used to being comfortable. I'm used to someone taking care of me in a way that um, always puts me in a place where I never really have to worry. And that takes me back to what you were saying about maybe sometimes feeling like a black woman is angry or a black woman has an attitude, but a black woman has been in charge of a black woman for her whole entire life. <laughs> like there's so many things that we have to worry about. And I like to even take it all the way back to like when we were enslaved about how we were separated from our families. And so there is so much of the responsibility that fell on us. And then you come into today where so many of us are raising kids alone, where so many of us are breadwinners, where so many of us are doing the bulk of the work. And um, I don't think that is necessarily that we're always hard, but, you know, a lot of stuff is about business. You know, it's not about like sitting back and kicking in and having the best time of your life. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of work that goes into that. And sometimes that might come across as hard. And I'm going to tell you that about 99.9% .9 of the black women that I know have no interest in being hard. Like we would love to sit back and like, you know, skip through the daisies, but it's not always possible. <laughs> so, so we just grind forward and do what we have to do. And that comes off as being too much, you know, and it's just, it just is what it is. It's just a part of who we've had to be. Right. So I, uh, I try very hard every day intentionally to focus on joy because I don't want to, I don't want to be a hard person, you know, even though that's so hard not to do sometimes. So I appreciate the answer to that question, Sarah. No problem. And the next one I had was why the need to intervene in situations that have nothing to do with you? Is it entitlement? Yes, I would say yes. I, I mean, it's that shared experience thing again. Um, so I think um, when you first heard me in Clubhouse in that room, I was sharing, um, I forget what the question was, but I was, um, I think it was like, what are you doing to, I don't know, I forget it. But I was, I remember, like I've been a, I've been a strong supporter in CrossFit for a very long time because it's, um, I mean, I know, I know people think it's a cult and it kind of is, but it's like a really motivational cult. <laughs> but if you're anyway. going to be in any cult, you better be in a motivational one. <laughs> right. It's like, you're not drinking some Kool-Aid and committing some mass suicide, you know, it's not, it's not that you're like bettering yourself. You're increasing your stamina. You're like, your, your health is at stake and you're improving it anyway. Um, 
when George Floyd was murdered, um, Greg Glassman, the CEO of CrossFit, the brand, um, belittled his death. And, you know, I don't remember the exact words that he used, but he just, it was disgusting and repulsive. And a lot of CrossFit gyms removed um, their affiliation uh, with the brand as they should have. Many of them did not, however. Um, it's, a, it's a largely white sport. Um, I think, did you interview Elijah Muhammad as well before? No. Oh, you didn't. Okay, well, anyway. So um, my point here though, is that I had emailed the owner of this CrossFit gym asking why they were so silent on um, this issue, you know, like being affiliated with such a blatantly racist organization. And um, the head owner, um, when we got on this call, uh, came at me with some reverse racism and sharing his experience of growing up in, I don't know if it was like a poor white neighborhood or a poor white family or whatever, but he was just missing the entire point. Um, and I think that's a lot of what this is. You know, as a white person, I don't have to see your experience. I can choose to be colorblind. I'm still gonna see your color, but I can choose to believe that it has nothing to do with any of your experiences. You're creating your own drama. You know, we, we still can experience the same things and the color of your skin has nothing to do with anything. So, I mean, we live our own reality or we create our own reality rather. It's all in our heads. So if we convince ourselves that race is not an obstacle or a barrier, well then in our minds, it's not. For you, I'm sure you know, and you could never convince yourself of that. <laughs> right. um, but for, for a white person, we can, because if I convince myself that people of color have no issues and they're perhaps causing their own issues, then it's, it's true to me and I can overlook anything that has to do with race or um, any kind of issue of the sort. Now, um, full disclosure, I am a really big rambler, so I might have gone way off topic. <laughs> <laughs> no, not not at all. I don't think so at all. I wanted to um, just piggyback on that and say, again, like being in a place of being comfortable, right? Because it's sometimes it just seems like it's more important to be comfortable. And I think that a lot of times in my experiences with white people is like to be silent, they think is to be okay, like is to be neutral, right? And your silence is as much ignorance as it is that if you say the wrong thing. So mm -hmm. to me, it's like, if you're not standing on the side of justice, you're standing on the side of injustice, just period. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I had this um, conversation with someone, I'm like uh, really involved in my kid's school, really involved in the PTA, which is a whole different issue. But I, <laughs> I had this um, conversation with someone about something that happened with George Floyd and the way that she handled it, handled it on her Facebook page. So another woman was blaming George Floyd for his own death 
And the person whose page it was, just let that ride. And I'm like, your silence is, you're standing on the side of injustice with your silence. And I don't want to be friends with people like that. I don't want you on my Facebook page. I don't want to hang out with you. I don't want to act, act like I care about you because <laughs> I'm not able to separate those two, right? Um, I work with you in this space, but when I work with anyone in any space, you become part of my community. And I think that maybe from my experience with white people that they don't do that as much, but I think black people are super com community oriented. So we don't separate the work from the person as much. And so if you show me that you're not concerned about my blackness, then that doesn't cause me to wanna be in any kind of circle with you and work with you because you are showing me who you are by being silent. <laughs> She felt the need to send me a personal message in my inbox and let me know that she doesn't agree with that woman. Well, that's something that you should be letting all your friends know that you don't agree with racism. <laughs> so it's not it's not a private issue. But those types of things, I think that um, they don't see how monumental it could be if they stood on the side of justice, like mm -hmm. how big of a difference it makes when you say that's not right or I don't support that or you're not allowed to say that on my page. Like you stand on the side of the right thing. And I just, I think that is not, maybe it's not worth the risk because they think they'll lose, they have more to lose than they have to gain. I don't know. <laughs> because they, you know, like when you have, <sighs> being white, you have so much to choose from. Um, so, you know, you can pick and choose where you want to be and you can choose to do nothing. And yes, you're completely right. You know, like many white people would actually think not only is that just a neutral side, but it might actually be a good side. You know, it's not the bad side because the bad side would be like being blatantly racist. Um, a good side um, and a white mind might even be being colorblind, you know, I don't, I don't see color, you know, like still, obviously, yes, you do see color, but you don't see any difference um, in treatment or opportunities or whatever. Um, so even in a white mindset, and, and again, it's not like every, every white person, um, right. but colorblind is comparatively much better than being blatantly racist. Mm -hmm. Um. I know that's and like being color colorblind is comfortable. It just it, yeah. it makes me not have to choose a side because I don't want the white people to get mad at me either. I have more to lose by the white people being mad at me than you being mad at me. Just like the cross CrossFit example, like if I speak out against this, who will leave my gym? Who do I lose because I say that I don't believe in that? You know, or I think that we should stand on this side of justice. It just it doesn't add up. It's, the cost is too great of what they can lose. So <laughs> was because you're standing on the wrong side as it is. So right. if you're feeling like this is too much of a risk, then you are, are clearly not on the right side to, to start with. So, I mean, people in business positions and, you know, these are the reasons why we still have all of these issues because no one is willing to get out of that zone of comfortability or comfortable uh, you know, because you could lose a job, you could lose a friend, you could lose a whatever. But 
And we all, I mean, we all have our biases. Like every single one of us has some kind of bias, but I don't think that um, a lot of times that white people really think about how their biases and how the words that they use and how the actions that they take could really affect another black person's life to even the point of death. Like mm -hmm. it's that serious. So when I have like a simple bias about, you know, a white person, and I'm not saying that that's right or wrong, but when I do, it's not, it's not life or death for you. Like when you speak negatively about a black person, when you blame a black person for something that they didn't do, when you decide that, you know, you're going to call the police on something that did that the police didn't need to be called, like how you are negatively impacting that person's life, maybe for the rest of their life. And so that like is the part that I really want people to get. Like, I need you to understand that somebody could die here. Just like when that woman called the um, police on the guy in Central Park, like that's huge. Even though he didn't do anything wrong, like this could have been the last day of his life had he decided to stay there, even though he didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that kind of like push my buttons because I got two black sons and I want to see them every day. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that was the end of the questions that I had. I mean, like I said, the questions went on and on and Sarah has um, offered to come back again. So if <laughs> that is what you guys desire, then we can definitely do that. But I wanted to know if there was one thing that you wanted to leave us with, Sarah, before we wrap up the interview today. Uh, one thing I want to leave you with. Um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, um, I think the reason why I bring up my students so much is because I believe in the power of education. Um, it is such a monumental tool and it is just like all the, the systemic racism, education is a part of it. Um, teachers have a very, very powerful position to um, choose how they want to deliver their curriculum. Um, and it's very easy um, to just go with that whitewash curriculum because your, your job is safe and secure. Um, and if you just, you know, stick with everything, um, you know, system won't change, but you're still going to have that cushy. Well, it's not even a cushy job because there's no teacher job that's cushy, right. <laughs> but right. anyway, um, I forget where I was going here, but I think that education is just like the most important thing probably in the entire world. Um, <laughs> I agree. Not just because I'm a teacher, but um, <laughs> I mean, I think that's where it really starts. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, I know how to make it better, but I am only one person and I will try to do my best, but you know, like we need a lot of, um, I don't know, reform and everything. And they need to rewrite those history books like ASAP, right? I'm like, yeah. no, when are you guys going to tell the real history, like the real truth so that everyone can learn what actually happened in this world? But, you know, yeah, like you said, I mean, it, we, we are all just one person and 
what we can do is to affect change in the areas that we are in and in the places and the people that we impact. Mm-hmm. And if everybody did that, then we would be on the right page. Yeah. We'd be on the on the way up. So, you know, I, I still have faith every day that people are going to do start to do things to get this right. You yeah. know, even if it's just like you said at the beginning of the interview, just actually hearing someone out and being open and comfortable with another point of view and not feeling like you have to overpower that or be right. Because honestly, you're not always right. You know, So I really appreciate you coming on talking about this. I would love, love, love to have you back. It was a great interview. So thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Melanated Mom podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you, and I appreciate each and every listen. Let me share with you some ways that we can help the podcast reach others that it may help as well. First, you can share any direct episode with one of your friends by text message. Second way that you can help the podcast is to rate and review the podcast. The third way that you can help the podcast is to post to your social media. So go ahead and make a post over on IG or on Facebook when you hear something that you enjoy. I appreciate the listens and I'll talk to you guys soon. Take care.